Well, good morning. Welcome to Robert's Navy Baptist Church. This is the day the Lord has made. We should rejoice and be glad in it. If you're visiting with us this morning, we want to say welcome to you. Ask you to fill out the little visitor card you'll find in front of you. Place an offering plate as you come around so we can have a record of your visit. We would greatly appreciate that. I also have a very special welcome I want to give this morning from the audience we have in Alabama. It's my very special uh, Aunt Mickey. God bless you and thank you for tuning in this morning. All right. I want to share with you uh, some upcoming announcements at Robertson Avenue. I want to ask you to prayerfully consider being a part of that. Number one, coming up next week, Church Saturday. Next Saturday we have uh, our rummage sale, and there's going to be some vendors there, and we still have some tables for sale. So if you're interested in that, you want to have a yard sale, that's the place to do it. All of our money for the tables go to Operation Christmas Child to help offset the shipping that uh, costs us to send those boxes out. So if you prayerfully consider being a part of that, if you've been wanting to have a yard sale for a long time, that's the perfect place to do it. So we'll put you outside in the yard there. Uh, our vendors will be inside in the fellowship hall, and I think we have plans to have several vendors that are there. Or even if you don't want to sell anything but want to come see what's for sale that day, uh, come and be a part of that. Also coming up on the 21st, y'all, Robertson Avenue Baptist Church is proud to announce we're having a fish fry. We're having catfish and cod. Can I get an amen on that? Amen, indeed. It's $7 a plate if you're an adult, $5 for children. We're doing it by tickets, so you need to get your ticket. You need to get with Sister Esther or Monica in the office, and you can get your ticket there. And so that way we have a count to start pre-cooking them. You can pick it up and leave if you want, or you can eat in the fellowship hall as you're there. I believe it's going to have all the sides that usually go with catfish and cod, hush puppies and things of that nature. And it would not be complete in Texas without a jalapeno, though. Amen? All right. So... Those are some upcoming things here at Robertson Avenue. I want to remind you all that uh, today at 4 o'clock we are having our ministry team meeting. I know it's a week early, but because next week being Mother's Day, we were asked to move that ahead so we could do that. If you're on that ministry team, I need to see you at 4 o'clock today in the admin building. All right. Um, also, choir practice at 4.30. Thank you, Robert. So come and be a part of that as well. So we'll let Robert go first in the ministry team meeting so he can get right into practice as soon as possible. All right. I want to remind you that we have an upcoming Vacation Bible School uh, workshop meeting. That is May 22nd. And if you are in those teachers or helpers, you need to be there and be a part of that. It's going to be at 10 a.m. in the Fellowship Hall. And our Vacation Bible School is planned for June 6th through the 9th. So please be in prayer for that. If you want to be a part of the choir, what you need to do is be a part of choir practice today at 430. It's open. And so, don't they look good back here? I've always wanted to know what I do with my hands when I'm preaching, so someone's going to tell me now. <laughs> so, if you want to know, you want to see what I do behind me, uh, see what it sounds like when someone's preaching to you with their back turned, well, come and be a part of the choir. Or if you just want to praise the Lord, come and be a part of that. So, those things are going on, and expect some wonderful things here at Robertson Avenue. All right. With that being said, uh, I think that's really about all of our upcoming um, events. So I want to remind you that May 6th is our National Day of Prayer. So prayerfully consider being a part of the activity and going out there. Robertson Avenue has been invited to the Cove Public Library to come and pray there for an hour with fellow ministers of the Ministry Alliance. And so we'll be there dur- during that on May 6th. And I think there's all kinds of see you at the poll activities planned as well. So I think that's it other than our May 30th theme coming up this Sunday night. Uh, churches and RSVPs are starting to come in. So uh, if you are interested in singing a special during that night, can you get with Robert or get with me and we'll get you scheduled in on that. So May 30th, this Sunday singing, 
Uh, don't forget our fish fry on the 21st. Don't forget rummage sale on the 8th. And don't forget today's ministry team and choir meeting. I think that's all of our upcoming. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, Sister Barbara has reminded me that uh, we are beginning to observe our baby bottle change a life uh, offering. And what's going to happen is uh, through Hope Pregnancy Centers, they've donated a lot of baby bottles. They're in the office at the moment. They'll be out starting next week. It's supposed to start it on Mother's Day. And you can pick up that baby bottle, sign it out. And what you do is you fill it with your loose change, checks, cash, uh, whatever you want to put in there. And that change will help change the life of a baby. Uh, so if you would prayerfully consider being a part of that, that is a worthy charity to be a part of. And prayerfully consider doing that. Uh, thank you for that, Barbara. I appreciate it. Right, it goes all the way through Father's Day. And so you got a, roughly a month, there's like a month and a week or a month and two weeks, something like that to uh, get that bottle filled. So uh, Sunday school can do it, sponsor it themselves. They can get a, a, a couple of baby bottles, see if they can fill them up, or you can do it individually, however you want to do it. I know Betsy and I are taking a bottle home, and we're looking forward to filling it up. So um, we're going to have a lot of fun with that, and we can't wait to see what kind of lives our change will change. Amen? So, all right. Thank you for that. I think that's all of our uh, upcoming announcements. So with that being said, let's go to the Lord in prayer and we'll turn the service over to Brother Robert. Father, we come to you now in Jesus' name. We want to thank you, Lord God, for the opportunity to gather in your house this morning. Would you fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord, as we worship today? And may you worship you and keep in spirit. Would you help us, Lord, to lay down anything, Lord, that would cause us to keep us from worshiping you? And I pray, Lord, that today would be the day we'd open our hearts to hear you, Lord, open our minds, Lord, to hear you. And I pray that your name would be glorified. For we give you the praise, the honor, and glory, even now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Robert.
Well, good morning. Seems so different coming out of the choir loft than it does from coming up out of the out of the congregation now. But you know what? I had a blast back here, and I want to encourage you to come and be a part of Robertson Avenue's choir. Let me tell you, there's nothing like singing there. If you close your eyes and pretend, you can almost hear the angels sing. <laughs> oh, goodness, if you have your Bibles with you, turn us to the book of Philippians chapter 2. Book of Philippians chapter 2. As I look around me, I see a lot of people. I see a diverse congregation. I see diverse racially. I see diverse educationally. And so we're going to talk a little bit this morning about seven traits of Christ living in you. The seven traits of Christ living in you. And, and you know what's funny? Even though we have such a diverse field, those traits are the same because the same Jesus that's in me is the same Jesus in you. Amen? And the Jesus in you is the same Jesus that's in me. And you know what that makes us? That makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. And a lot of us forget that. When we become a Christian, there is no more divide between us. There's nothing to keep us apart. There is no difference. When you become saved, you become blood-bought, born-again, redeemed. You become somebody that the king thinks is precious. Amen? And it's time for us to start living that way. It's time for us to start showing those traits of Christ in our hearts and in our lives. It's time for us to start becoming a little bit thankful for what God has done. How many of you know that God has already planned for His church to win. It seems like we've been spending time here on this earth doing a lot of whining when really He planned for us to get up and do some winning. It's time for the church to stand up to the devil, to stand up to the world and say, No, sir. It's time for us to say, We're not going to take it anymore. Now, if you're from the 1980s, I know what you're already thinking. You're already thinking of Twisted Sister. We're not going to take it, right? Yes, I grew up in the 80s with the hair bands. Twisted Sister was one of my favorite groups. And so people come by the office all the time and say, Pastor, what was your favorite 1980s group? Twisted Sister, obviously. There's a few others that I like, but Twisted Sister was the one that caught my attention. That, that, that guy with the long hair and the football pads on, going around and singing, we're not going to take it. Oh, he was really cool until I got to be about 16 or 17. I thought, that guy's a moron, you know? Yeah, old enough to start seeing those things. So, but anyways, let's take a look at the seven traits of Christ living in you. You're in Philippians chapter 2. And let's open up with a word of prayer, shall we? Father, we come to you now in Jesus' name. We want to thank you for the opportunity to gather in your house, Lord, this morning. And I just pray as we look into your word, you'd speak to us, Lord. That you'd have your way in our hearts and in our lives today. That if there be anybody that needs to come to know you as personal Lord and Savior, or anybody, Father God, that needs to get their heart right with you, and I pray that today would be that day. Or perhaps, Lord, there are some you're calling to become members of Robertson Avenue. Would you let today be that day? We give you the praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Philippians chapter 2. Read with me verses 1 and 2. The Bible says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort or love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Now, when you become a Christian, you get a new life in Christ. Did you know that? It happens instantaneously. It happens quickly. It happens marvelously. And it will change everything about you. You know what's funny to me? To this day, we have people who claim they're Christians, but there's been no change in their life. If there's no change, then there was no salvation. Can I get an amen on that? 
How many of you know you cannot be a drunkard and be a Christian? How many of you know you can't go around beating your wife and be a Christian? How many of you know you can't stay the way you were and go with God? You get a new life in Christ. And a lot of people get offended when we talk about there has to be a change. That change is proof that Jesus is living in you. That change is evidence that you've got a Holy Spirit in you. And that Holy Spirit says you can't live that way. You can't act that way. You can't speak that way. You can't behave that way. And no more twisted sister. Amen. A new life in Christ. A new believer experiences several changes in their life. They get them instantaneously. Like I said, when you get saved, you get the Holy Spirit immediately. Now, I know there's churches out there that says, no, you've got to wait, or no, someone's got to lay hands on you, or something of that nature. But I believe, and Robertson Avenue believes, that when you become a born-again Christian, you get the Holy Ghost immediately. And that's what seals you for that day of redemption. Can I get an amen on that? You get that Holy Spirit inside of you. Now, there are things that Christians need to do to learn about the Holy Spirit. There are things that Christians need to do to go ahead and grow that gift inside of you. Because, by the way, Christians get saved and Christians get a new life, but we still face trials, tribulations, persecutions, temptations. And you know something else? Sometimes we have to still pay our bills. Can I get an amen? you still got to do things in the world, but you're now in the world, but not of the world. It's going to create a conflict inside of you. So you get this new life in Christ, and a new believer experiences several changes in their life. Number one, they get the Holy Ghost, and that's the biggest change that any believer, that anybody in this world can get. You should be praying for the Holy Spirit in your life. You should be praying for the Holy Spirit intervention. You should be praying for the Holy Spirit's direction in everything you do. People ask me all the time, Pastor, what should I do? You know what I usually tell them? Did you talk to the Holy Spirit? Did you talk to God Almighty? Did you let the Holy Spirit leave you? Now, incidentally, the Holy Ghost comes upon you, and He does lead you. He does guide you, and He does direct you. But He doesn't necessarily keep you from falling into temptation or keep you from facing trials, tribulations, and persecutions. What He will do, though, is convict you. What He will do, then, is lead you on the godly way out of it. So a new believer gets the Holy Ghost, and that brings about a big change in their life. Because you went from a life where it says, That's okay for me to do those things to a life now that says, I'm convicted when I do those things. I'm bothered when I do those things. I feel like I did something wrong. Did you notice that when you first became a Christian? All of a sudden, you did something you used to do, and it was A-OK, it was fun, and then you did it as a Christian, and you were like, it's not fun anymore. Because you are grieving the Holy Ghost inside of you, and the Holy Ghost doesn't want you doing that and being a part of that. And a new believer begins to experience those things in their life. You know what else a new believer gets? They get God's Word. As a unbeliever, you can pick up the Bible now, listen to me, and come in close if you want to on this one. But a new believer gets a brand new experience in God's Word that we often forget about. You may not remember because most of you grew up in a Christian house where grandma was a Christian, mom was a Christian, dad was a Christian, and all your brothers and sisters were Christians. It was only natural for you to become a Christian. But if you grew up in a house where Christ was not brought forth and set up as Lord, then out of a sudden the Word becomes something different to you. Because I would pick up the Bible before I was a Christian, and you know what it was? It made no sense to me. When I became a Christian, out of a sudden it started making sense. You get God's Word in your life. 
You get God's Word, which is an assurance on it. Not just that, but you start hungering for God's Word. You start thirsting for God's Word. And you can't stop reading it. I've been a Christian now for 28 years, and there is not a day in my life I have not picked up God's Word and said, I hunger for it. And I, like the psalmist, cry out, Lord, help me to hide Thy Word in my heart that I might not sin against You. You get God's Word. And new believers are often taken back when God's Word becomes in their life. I think it's funny when a new believer starts quoting the Bible. Especially when they misquote something like this. Isn't that funny? I think it's great. You know, some of the misquotes of all time, some of my favorite misquotes of all time, cleanliness is next to godliness. That is not in the Bible. Some of you said, Amen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> some of you said, Well, it's kind of there, and it is. Cleanliness is next to godliness. And it is kind of there, but it doesn't stay there. Does it? You know what else you're going to find in the Bible that doesn't really exist? The book of second opinion. That doesn't exist either. And new believers are going to be full of second opinion and full of Sunday school teachers and deacons and preachers and pastors and past family members who think they know what's in the Bible when really they need to do what all Christians need to do. Pick it up and read it for themselves. Amen? Let me tell you, there's nothing like getting a hold of God's Word. There's nothing like putting it to work in your life. There's nothing like trusting it. And there's nothing like grabbing a hold of it and letting it lead you, guide you, and direct you. So you get the Holy Ghost as a new believer. You get God's Word. Incidentally, in this walk of faith you start as a new believer, you get this new walk. And you're walking by faith. You get one thing you get to see, though. You get God's Word. You get to see it. You get to touch it. You get to read it. And by goodness, you get to trust in it. Can I get an amen on that? You get God's Word. You know what else new believers get? This is the scariest one. They get to church. Amen or oh me. <laughs> they get to church as well. And a church family added on to a new believer is a scary thing. I came out of a background where crowds and people were almost taboo for us. I'm not kidding you. That was a sudden, I remember when I became a Christian, and out of a sudden, 150 people wanted to be my friend, wanted to know what was going on in my life, wanted to pray for me, wanted to love me, and genuinely cared about me. It scared me half to death. I thought, you guys are the most invasive, snoopy, nosy people I've ever seen. That means amen in a Baptist church. So when you're a brand new Christian and all of a sudden you get 150 new brothers and sisters in Christ, they care about you and they love you and they want to see you grow in Jesus Christ. A brand new Christian usually does what I did. Who are you? And why do you want to know those things? That's pretty personal, pal. Why do you get to church as a new believer? They also get what comes in the church. Christian believers as new friends and family. They get a bunch of them that way. And like I said, it's different. And if you're not good with names, let me tell you a little Christian secret right now. Brother and sister covers a lot. Hey, brother. Hey, sister. So good to see you this morning. Ooh, praise the Lord. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. I see amen to smiles all over the place. So I was talking a little bit as we started out this morning about what a diverse church Ron Snavely is. And praise God for it. We've got different cultures, different religions, excuse me, different races. We have people who came out of different religions. <laughs> we have people who come out of different religions. But uh, we also have a diverse educational field. We've got people with PhDs in here. We have people with 
DBs, and we have people who never finished senior high school at all. But you know, I've come to realize that those people are great, every one of them. Some people graduate life with a BA. You know what BA is in this context? Bad attitude. So let's take a look at a few of these, if you don't mind. I want to look at a few things that new believers get, and let's just leave that BA out on the side for just a minute. Number one, they get the presence of the Holy Ghost. So look with me in John 14, verse 26. The Bible says in verse 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance all things that I said to you. Isn't that a wonderful promise? You ever thought, Pastor, I've got a hard time remembering Scripture? You know, every time someone says that to me, you know what I think in my heart? When you need it, God is going to bring it right back up. All you have to do is feast on it. All you have to do is eat it. All you have to do is digest on it. You've got to make it part of your daily meal, though. I know sometimes some Bible reading can be hard. And sometimes it can be something that we don't look forward to. Have you ever read the book of Numbers? You ever? <laughs> sometimes it can be hard. You ever read Leviticus? Thank God you're not Jewish. That's the very first book you have to read as a Jew. Leviticus. Oh, if you're a Christian, that might turn you off for a minute. So, Sometimes Bible reading can be hard, but let me tell you, there's not one word in the Bible that's not there for a reason, and it doesn't have a purpose. But every one of them has a reason for you, and every one has a purpose for you, and every one is designed to help you and give you the victory. Like I said earlier, God has brought the church here not to whine, but to win. Amen? And we've been too busy losing over the last couple of years. We're losing church members. We're losing to baptism. We're losing to entertainment. Have you been watching the news lately? It's enough to discourage anybody. How many big, high, big-name preachers got arrested this week? Two that we know well. Two of them fell out of these big Christian assemblies. And, of course, the world doesn't even bat an eye in anymore. They're so used to it. So you've got to start thinking to yourself. Are they really as Christian as they say they are? Well, you know what? I want to ask you about the seven things. I ask you this morning, do you see those in your heart? If you don't, I want to invite you to come to know Jesus Christ this morning. But let's take a look at a few of those things that, that new believers get. The presence of the Holy Ghost. Remember what John 14, 26 says, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, when the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. The next thing a new believer gets, of course, is God's Word. When I got saved, the first thing my pastor gave me was a Bible. He didn't give me a gospel tract. He did not give me a study series. He didn't give me a tape with a bunch of sermons. He gave me a Bible that said, start reading it. And I started reading it like a vacuum. I could not put it down like a sponge. I kept soaking it up. And I found myself up to 3, 4 o'clock in the morning reading God's Word. I had to be at work at 5. and could not lay it down because my soul began to hunger for it. Because my mind began to say, I want to know what happened. And I want to know what happened. I even started skipping ahead to Revelation. Because I wanted to know the end. Oh, I was surprised to find out we win. Hallelujah. What are we afraid of? We win. What are we so scared of? What are we waiting for? We win. Look at God's Word. 1 Peter 2, verse 2 tells us, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the Word, that you may grow thereby. Now, sometimes, like I said, it is hard to read God's Word. Sometimes you're just tired. Sometimes you're thinking, oh, do I really want to read this numerology? Do I really want to read the counting of the tribes? Do I really want to read what the offering was? The 
Bible tells us that even one day we should be desiring the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Now, I've been married to Betsy for almost 23 years. And I can tell you right now, Betsy has fed me every night, except for the nights I get to take her out to eat. <laughs> but every night she has fed me lovingly. The meal she made came from her heart. But I can't remember one of those meals. I can't even ruin what she made last Friday night. I can't, even though it was good. Obviously. I can't remember what she made. But it stuck to my ribs. And it satisfied my hunger. When you will get in God's Word, if you'll start feasting on God's Word, if you'll start putting it in your heart and putting it in your life, you're going to find out that it will satisfy like nothing else can. It'll stick to your ribs. It'll cause you to grow spiritually heavy. Amen. You might be as bad as me. The Bible tells us we should desire it. And that's something a, a new Christian gets. Let's take a look at the other one here. They get the church. Look at Matthew 18, 20. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. People often ask me, why is church so important? Why can't we just do church online? Hello? Where two or three are gathered, not two or three on the telephone. For two or three are gathered in my name. I'm there in the midst of them. I want to gather hand in hand with my fellow believers and believe that Jesus is right in the middle of us, hearing our songs, hearing our prayers, answering our prayers, and giving us a double, triple portion of His Holy Spirit. Amen? For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm there in the midst of them. You know what else that new believer gets? They get Christian brothers and sisters. Like I said, that one could be good or bad, right? But it's all good. Look at Acts 2, verse 1. I want to show you what happens when the church comes together. Brothers and sisters, look at Acts 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. The church gathered together. And you know what happens next, don't you? The Holy Ghost comes, and that place was shaken, and they started speaking in tongues, and they started performing miracles, and they turned the world upside down. It's the year 2021, and we're still preaching today because that church gathered together in His name. It's time for the church to do that again. So let's take a look now at seven traits of Christ living in you. That's what new believers get. So right now you might be thinking, I don't want to be a new believer. Well, you know what? You might be an old believer and you're feeling a little stagnant this morning. You've been coming to church and you've had your head down. You've graduated with that D.A. I was talking about. A little bit of bad attitude. You woke up this morning and you got together with some of your brothers and sisters from the church. And they said something like, wake up grumpy this morning? And you said, nope, I left her in bed. You ever been there before? You might be a little cynical. You might have walked through a field of beautiful flowers. And after all that rain, we've got beautiful wildflowers. And you might see the cow patty that's there and miss all those flowers because you've got that D.A. Let's take a look at seven traits of Christ living in you. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Now, Paul writes, and he says very elegantly, If there is any. Well, that's a powerful Greek statement. Very powerful. You see it in a lot of places. It's a first-class condition of the if clause. 
literally what it means is, the understanding is, if there's any, well, yes, there is. Like when the devil tempts Jesus and says, if you are the Son of God, and I know you are, is what's implied there, and you know you are, Jesus, Paul's writing in the same context there and says, if there is any, and I know there's some, and you know there's some, the problem is that you've been holding it back. Why? Because you've become hard-hearted, because you've become mad, because you've become jealous, because you've grabbed a hold of things that don't become Christians. The understanding is if there's any, and yes, there is. A more correct understanding would be if there's any, and there had better be some, or you do not have the Christ that you say you do. So let's look at that first trait of Christ living inside of you. Paul says, if there's any consolation in Christ, that'll be our first trait this morning. Consolation in Christ. What is consolation? When I first started studying the Bible, I couldn't help but remember the word consolation. I remember from watching the Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy, because those people would lose the game show, and of course they would say, a consolation prize has been given. What's a consolation prize? And why would I need consolation in Christ? Do you understand what the Bible's talking about here? Incidentally, what is consolation? A person dwells in a state of consolation when she or he is moving towards God's active presence in this world. In other words, I'm saying goodbye to all those things that are holding me back, and Jesus Christ is filling me with His presence, and it is more than consolation. Can I get an amen? Your first trait of Christ living in you is you moving out of the things of this world and moving toward the things of Father God. You're going to find yourself, the more you spend time with God, the more like God you become. Have you ever spent time with your father and you find yourself saying the things he says, wearing the things he wears? You know what? My son went and visited my mom the other day. And he came home with a bunch of my dad's old shirts. Now, daddy's dead. He came up with a bunch of daddy's shirts and he laid them out on the couch and started putting them on and they fit them so good. And I looked at myself and I wasn't wearing any of daddy's shirts, but I was wearing a short sleeve, buttoned up shirt just like my father. And I just asked myself, where did I learn that at? As a Christian, the more you spend time with God, the more you start acting godly. Amen? And you will find yourself leaving things of the world behind. And you'll find the Holy Spirit consoling you. You don't need that anymore. You need the presence of Jesus Christ. You want to be in worship. You want to be in prayer. You want to be in God's Word. Get rid of the things that keep you from getting there. Paul said it like this. He said, let's cut loose the things that hinder us and press on toward the mark. A person dwells now, church, in the state of consolation when he or she is moving toward God's active presence in the world. Let's take a look at Matthew 5, 14. Consolation now is what we're talking about here. So our first trait, the Bible says in Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. A city that stands on the hill cannot be hidden. Instead of your dark and dreary bad attitude, you should have an optimistic, good feeling, loving attitude. You know why? Because there's a God in heaven who thinks you're worth dying for. You've got a Savior in heaven who bled for you. You've got someone who went to the cross for you. And if that isn't consolation, I don't know what is. What more can you ask for? He died for you. And more than that, now He lived for you. Right at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you, saying, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. 
light of the world. It's time for the church to stand up and start saying, it's time for us to put these worldly things behind. That's why a church can't embrace Santa Claus. That's why a church can't embrace the Easter Bunny. That's why a church cannot embrace what the world is doing. My goodness, the world should be kicking in the door trying to find out what they're doing. They're the light of the world, and that light should be shining. The light of the glorious gospel. The light of Jesus Christ. A light that tells everybody their salvation in Jesus. You understand what we're getting at here? You're a light on a hill. Consolation is something in place of, something instead of. This world is used to having darkness. This world is used to not knowing where it's going. This world is used to saying, I don't know what's going to happen. But we'll find out when we get there. Not so with Jesus Christ. You are a city on a hill, and you are given direction to a lost world. They know how to navigate because you are alive. They know where to go because you have the light of Christ in you. All right, let's take a look at our next one here. Second trait. Paul says, if there's any comfort in love, there better be comfort in love. What is that? To comfort each other in love. Now, I used to often think about what comfort was. So I looked at a portrait of King Charles I. He had a sword in his hand. He was behind his troops, prodding them into battle. And the title of the portrait is King Charles Comforting His Troops. I thought to myself, boy, that's not very comfortable to get poked. Go ahead now. I believe in you. I trust in you. Go fight the enemy for me. I will stay behind you. (laughs) Comfort doesn't always mean they're there now. It's okay. Comfort also means encouragement. Comfort also means encouragement. And God's people, God's people should be encouraging each other. And you should be full of encouragement. You should be that one that says there's a God in heaven and He knows you're worth dying for. You ever sit there in those pews and say, nobody loves me, Pastor? You ever sit there in pews and say, nobody understands me? Only if you're 17 going like this. <laughs> nobody understands me. Wrong. There is a high priest in heaven who knows everything about you and still thinks you're worth dying for and understands you and loves you and wants you to be happy and wants you to be holy and wants you to be with Him forever and ever and ever. That's comfort. You know what? Sometimes this world doesn't give us comforting things, does it? You wake up and read the news, the moment you do is lose your comfort, don't you? I had someone call me the other day at home on Friday and said, Pastor, what are you doing? I said, I'm watching the news. That lady said, hang up the TV right now. Turn it off. Turn it off. Get rid of it. It will discourage you. And she was absolutely right. All you need is God. All you need is His Word. And Christians, we should be comforting one another in love. That means we pray for each other. That means we listen to each other's burdens. That means we try to help when we can. And that means we understand what each other's going through. And you don't have to have a B.A. to do that. Can I get an amen on that? Let's take a look at our, our comfort of love here. First John 3, verse 1. Behold, the Bible says, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us, because it did not know 
him. That's why the world can look at y'all and say, y'all are nuts because they don't know Father God. You know, the secular world in early Christianity used to look at the church and say they were crazy. They used to say, behold how they love one another. You know, it's been 2,020 years since we've heard that from the secular world. We need to bring that back, amen? We need to get back into loving one another. We need to get back into comforting one another with love. We need to get back and let each other know I'm there for you. I'll pray for you. And not only will I pray for you, but if I can help you, I will. Why? Because the Father has given us love through His Son. Look at what the Bible says. Behold, what manner of love the Father bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. You know what behold is? That's like a trumpet in the Bible. Going, boop, 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 boop. Listen! Look! Pay attention! Behold! What manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us! What kind of love is that that He has given you, His only begotten Son, that He allowed His Son to go to the cross, that He allowed His Son to be crucified, He allowed His Son to be scourged and to be whipped and to be bled because He loves us. What kind of love is that? And because He loves us like that, we should be able to love one another. Amen? Let's take a look at the third trait in a Christian's life. The third trait of Christ living in you. Fellowship of the Spirit, says the Apostle Paul. You know, if you don't have the Holy Ghost, you're not saved. Did you know that? If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not going to heaven. Bible says you've got to have the fellowship of the Spirit. You've got to be with the Holy Spirit. As I said earlier, Robert Stanford, who believes, I believe with all my heart that the moment you get saved, you get the Holy Ghost. Now, I believe some people get more in tune with the Holy Spirit. I believe that some people learn to fellowship more with Him. And I, you know what? The Holy Spirit's the most ignored person in the church. Amen? We need to get some worship time going. We need to get some praise time going. Anyways, the fellowship of the Spirit that dwells in all believers, real believers. I'm not talking about that guy who said a prayer that hasn't changed. You know why they haven't changed? Because the Holy Ghost isn't in them. You say, how come they continue smoking marijuana? Gee, I wonder how that is. How come they can continue living in adultery? I wonder why that is. Because there's no change in them. There's no change in them because there's no Holy Ghost in them. There's no Holy Ghost in them, then there's no conviction in them. And there's no conviction in them, there will be absolutely, positively no change in them. So ask yourself this morning, are you changing? You might be sitting there in a pew saying, I know I'm going to heaven, I'm saved, I said a prayer, but I'm still living like I did, and there's no change in me. You better start thinking again, and you better start asking yourself a question. Is the Holy Spirit living in me? Because you've got to have the fellowship of the Spirit. The Spirit dwells in believers. Look with me in Romans 8, verse 9. The Bible says, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. And if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. I didn't say that. The Bible says that. The Bible says that. If you don't have the Spirit of God, you don't belong to Jesus. Look at the fourth trait. Fourth trait. It's kind of a two for one here. Affection and mercy. What's the difference? Well, affection, of course, is fondness. It's love. It's more than love, though. It's a fondness. It's a liking. It's a, I want to be a part of that. And, of course, mercy. What is mercy? Do you might know what mercy is? 
Mercy is undeserved forgiveness. Mercy. I give you mercy even though you deserve this. What is affection and mercy? Well, affection is to be fond of, like I said. To begin enjoying something that you once didn't like. Before you were a Christian, going to church was a chore. Amen? That means amen in the Baptist church. And some of you know all too well what I'm talking about. Some of you sit back and you know what? Let's just talk about church people for a minute because it's a lot of fun. We're the strangest people I ever met. It's true. We want to be the first in line at every cafeteria, but we want to be in the back of the church when we come in. <laughs> we are peculiar, the Bible says, but we are His treasure. Amen? And we need to learn to be affectionate. We need to have affection and mercy to be fond of, to begin enjoying something that you once didn't like. You hate coming to church? You hate being around people? Start finding out if you got the Spirit inside of you. You hate doing that? Man, I can't stand it. You know what heaven is going to be? You know what? The last time someone complained to me, said, I don't go to church because I don't like singing. I was like, you don't want to go to heaven then, do you? He just looked at me like, huh? What do you think heaven is? He's like, it's going to be a lot of fun. I said, no, it's going to be a lot of worship. We're going to be worshiping forever and ever. You're going to look at the sun, and the next thing you know, a thousand years has gone by. You're going to be caught up in His beauty, looking into His wonderful face, and the things in this world will go strangely down. Amen? Affection and mercy. You'll find yourself enjoying things that you once didn't like. You can pick up the Bible and say, I didn't like it. Now they should pick it up and say, I can't get enough of it. Mercy. Mercy, you'll find yourself forgiving people because you were forgiven. You'll start saying, I, I, there was a time I would be madder and mad and mad and hold a grudge and not talk to you for six months. But today, like water on a duck's back because He forgave you. You have affection and mercy in you this morning? Let's take a look at some scriptures on that. Look with me in Colossians 3, verse 2. The Bible says in Colossians 3, verse 2, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Affection. You've got to have that affection on the things above. You've got to get your eyesight on Jesus Christ, on the cross, on the Holy Spirit. You've got to get your affection right there. And you'll find out that nothing else matters. You know why? When you get to heaven, all the streets are made of gold. So pure, the Bible says. It's like looking through glass. Now, that's some seriously high carat gold. Amen? You think you got some 24 carat gold? I think that's something. Imagine having gold so pure, it's, it's clear. And the Bible says it's just the asphalt there. You say, man, heaven's so rich. No, no, no. No, no, no. That's not the point. The point is, is you'll be so enthralled with He who sits on the throne that the riches of this world don't matter anymore. You'll be worshiping Him. The gold will lose all its luster. You'll be looking at Him and be completely awed as you look into His face and see forever unfolding. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Become affectionate. Start loving people that are unlovable. That's people with BAs in life. Start loving them. Start looking at them like God looks at them. How does God look at them? God looks at them and says, they're worth my only begotten son. Yes, that person that you don't like. What are you going to do when you wake up and a person you don't like is living in heaven right next to you? You better start loving them now. 
Look with me in Proverbs 21, 21. We're going to have affection and mercy. Look at there. Proverbs 21, 21. He who follows righteousness and mercy finds life. Righteousness and honor. Start following mercy. You ever planned revenge? You ever planned it in your life? Pastor, have you? Yes. Am I going to tell you about it? No. Did it work out? No. I worked in a prison. Oh, my goodness. You know? And I've learned that if you can love the unlovable, if you can look at those people, let me tell you about some, a group of people that I've learned to love, and they were unlovable. They took me to court, y'all. They sued me 14, 15 times. I was going to, I went to court so much, the judge would see me coming in and say, Get out, chaplain. We're done. Case is already dismissed. And they, the, the people taking the court to the court said, That's not fair. They're like, Yeah, it is. Quit taking this guy to court. They would constantly say, Chaplain Morrison is Islamophobic. I wasn't Islamophobic. I just preached the gospel to him. Amen. I would tell him Jesus is the only way, the only truth, the only life. And they get so mad at me. You know what's funny? In turn, I would start getting mad again because they were making my life miserable. I would, they would start making uh, lies and I'd start telling the ward, oh, Chaplain did this, the Chaplain said that, and I got to where I had to record everything to prove what was happening there. Everything was written down. Everything was documented because it's Something came up missing. It was immediately, it must be that evil Chaplain Morrison. In fact, they, they were my Muslim offenders. They start, they start coining the phrase, Chaplain Morrison is the Antichrist. And I remember confronting them and say, you don't believe in Christ. How can I be the Antichrist? Well, they turned around and left, you know. So anyways, I started asking God, help me love these people. Help me love them like you so the first thing I did, they had a, a feast coming up. They had, like, Jews have a lot of feasts, but so did Islam. They have a lot of feasts, too. They have one called the Eid, Eid al-Fatir. I just have to sit in there and do my prayer every Friday. And let me tell you, it's extremely uncomfortable, especially if you're a Christian. Extremely uncomfortable. And they had this feast coming up. And so I remember I went home and said, Betsy, can you make a chocolate cake? And Betsy said, sure, what for? I said, for my muscles. Betsy said, no. Please. Did she made it for us? I brought it to them, and I was able to present that cake for their feast and say, "I give this to you in the name of Jesus Christ, because He thinks you're worth dying for." I would love to be able to tell you that all those Muslims became Christians. They didn't. A few did, but not as many as I wanted. Incidentally, the Bible tells us in Proverbs 21, verse 21: "He who follows righteousness and mercy finds life." I began to where I started forgiving what they were doing against me. I'd go into court and they'd say, Chaplain, are you Islamophobic? And I'd say, no, I'm not. They said, do you have anything against them? I'd say, no, I don't. Do you want to take any action against what they've done to you? No, I forgive them. And out of that forgiveness, some of those girls became Christians. He who follows righteousness and mercy finds life, righteousness, and honor. All right. Paul said, if you'll start doing these things, you'll have joy. Now, joy is not one of those traits. He said, you'll fulfill my joy. You'll start doing those things. Joy! Joy, if you have these traits. You'll fulfill my joy if you have these traits. What is joy? Well, I love joy in the Bible. Because joy is a neat little anagram. It's a neat analogy. It's a neat little picture. Joy. J-O-Y. 
others and you. And this is a correct order to Jesus comes first in your life, others come second, and you come last. That's the hard part, though. We usually like to put Jesus, you, then others. You don't call that joy. You call that joy. And you say, how come I don't have joy in my life? Because you've got the order wrong. You've got the order wrong. It is nice to laugh in the house of God. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine. Oh, I believe that with all my heart. So you get the order wrong sometimes. You say, I want joy, Pastor. Father God, can you put joy in my heart? There's no joy in my life. There's no joy in my marriage. Well, get the order right. You know, there's a lot of people who put you first, then Jesus, then others. How do you spell that? O-G. No wonder you don't have joy. you got to get the order right. You know, it's one of the fruits of the Spirit, too. God's Spirit makes us loving and happy and peaceful and patient, kind and good, gentle and joyful. Of course, we don't like to talk about the last one, self-control. Let's look at that fifth trait quickly now. Apostle Paul says, you'll fulfill my joy that you'll be like-minded. He was not referring to a Baptist church. <laughs> like-minded. Like-minded. You know, one thing great about Baptist churches is we have 100,000 different ideas. And not a one of them is wrong. What we got to find out is which one is ordained by the Spirit. How do we do that? How do you do that? Let me tell you how you do that. You stay in God's Word. If you'll stay focused on the things above, if you'll set your mind on Christ on high, then when God's will comes to you, you will know what it is. Amen? If we were all like-minded, there would be no contradiction whatsoever. And Apostle Paul writes to the church of, Philipp- uh, church of Philippi, and he says, Be ye like-minded. And we also talk about the loving church at Philippi. But I need you to understand that they had a problem as well. That problem was disunity. Oh, they loved one another. Oh, they prayed for one another. But they couldn't agree on the color of the carpet in their church. They couldn't agree on the color of the curtains. They couldn't agree on what color the sky was outside. Paul writes to them and says, You'll make my joy complete if you'll give life minded joy. You don't need to worry about those things. You need to worry about how to present the gospel to Muslims, to Wiccans, to homosexuals, to people we need to learn to love. Amen? We need to be like-minded in that. What is being like-minded? Well, let's find out what the Bible says about it. Look at me in Philippians 2 and verse 5. As Paul writes to him, he says, Let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. If you were to translate that in Greek, literally it sounds something like this. If we were to put it in English, it said, Keep on keeping this in mind. Never let this mind depart from you. Never let it leave your thought. Keep on keeping on thinking like Jesus did. And what did Jesus think? Jesus thinks you're worth dying for. Amen. Never let that depart from you. Look at Ephesians 4 verse 23. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Have that kind of mind. The apostles be one-minded. How do you get to be one-minded? Get in God's Word. How do you get in God's Word? Start letting go of the things of the world. How do you start letting go of the things of the world? Start putting your eyes on Jesus Christ. Start becoming affectionate. Start having your mind renewed. Start being full of the Holy Spirit. Look at the sixth trait here. Christ living in you. These are proofs, if you will. The same love. Whoa, 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 whoa. Same love? That's right. The same love. The same as what? The same as God. Say it with me in your heart. For God so loved the world 
that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That kind of love. Amen. That kind of love. For God so loved the world. For Joshua needs to so love the world that he will take the good news of Jesus Christ to everybody he makes. I need to love like that. And the church needs to love like that. Paul says, have that same love in you. That love that was in the mind of Jesus Christ. That mind that said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That mind that said, I will willingly embrace the cross that mind that said they're worth it, that mind that said it pleases my Father to bruise me because He loves them. That kind of love. Grace, love. Mercy, love. Favor, love. Blessing, love. Attention kind of love. The cross kind of love. The Son's kind of love. The world is what you need to love. The same kind of love God has for you. Do you have that kind of love in you? Then you know I got a BA doctor. Time to unlearn what you've learned. It's time to start learning what God wants you to learn. God says they're worth dying for. Let's look at our seventh trait. One accord, says the Apostle Paul. Now we've seen that earlier in there when we talked about the church. One accord. It's not a Honda, y'all. Even though I got tickled the other day, Beth and I went shopping at Walmart, and somebody had one of those smart cars in the parking space really close to Betsy's van. And on the back of that smart car was a bumper sticker that said, Warning, only 24 clowns will fit in this vehicle. <laughs> I started laughing at that, put a smile on my face. I needed that. Have you ever went to Walmart nowadays? It'll take the joy right out of you. Whoops. You ever been to Colleen lately? That's like going to a foreign mission field, isn't it? Let alone after the church members go to Austin this week. They came back and their hair was black and it was solid white when they got back. It was like this. She said, I can't take it anymore the way people drive. Isn't it amazing? Oh, my goodness. We got to have one accord. What is that? One accord. Well, you know what it means? It means that we have one mission. What's funny to me is hundred churches. How many churches are in Conference Grove? We all have got a different view of what we should be doing. And really, the Bible says we got one view of what we need to be doing. And we need to be speaking and saving the lost. We need to bring the good news, the grace, the gospel, the cross to those that are dying and perishing. Let's take a look at one accord here. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 15. And what accord has Christ with Belial? You know who Belial is? The devil. What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? You might be sitting there today in a few saying, Pastor, I don't have any of those traits. Have you heard what the Bible said over and over and over again? You know, I got the Holy Spirit. You're not a Christian. The Bible says if you are in accord with the world, you're an unbeliever. Look at that. What part is a believer with an unbeliever? How many of you sit there saying, I can marry somebody who's not a Christian and lead them to Christ? Wrong. You can't. That unbeliever will bring you into sin and keep you from the fullness of Jesus Christ. Will keep you miserable. You'll lose your joy. You'll lose everything you thought you had. What part has a believer with an unbeliever? Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18. 
give us the accord to talk about this. I need you to see the picture with Yeshayahu, that's his name in Hebrew. Isaiah the prophet, one of the most powerful prophets in your Bible. Oh, he has such a long book. Oh, he predicts the birth of Christ. We call him the mini-gospel, don't we? Sometimes we call him the pre-evangelist because he gives the gospel before the gospel was there. He tells us, Behold, a virgin will bring forth a child. He says, You'll call his name Emmanuel. On his shoulders is the government, and you will call him Counselor, Mighty God, Wonderful. Listen to what God says through the prophet Isaiah. This is God speaking to people who are not believers anymore. People who grew up in houses with churches. And by the way, if there was any more applicable verse to this world today, it's this one. Because most people in the United States grew up in a house that had church in it. Amen? They did, and they're not going to church anymore. Why aren't they going to church anymore? Well, there's a couple of reasons why. Number one is mom and dad may not have been quite as saved as they said they were. There was no change in them. They were able to continue doing those things. Two, perhaps that child was treated wrong in church. They went to a church where they said, Hey, kid, you need to be seen and not heard. I love to hear those kids out there. It brings me joy when they're singing the praise of Jesus Christ. It brings me joy to know that out of the mouth of babes, Perfect praise is coming forth in Robertson Avenue. Amen. It brings me great joy. I remember the first time I held up one of our Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes and prayed for it. And the joy of the vision I got in my heart of some child opening up and knowing there's a God in heaven who thinks he's worth dying for. It brought me joy. What a cord. We need this again. Isaiah 1.18 speaks to a generation who grew up knowing God, who grew up walking away from God, saying, I don't want anything to do with you. Because those around me turned Christianity into a dullness, lifeless, funless place. Isaiah 1.18 says, this is God speaking to those people. Come now, he says. Come. It is an invitation. Come now. Let us reason together. Let's talk about it. I need you understand something. When God says, come and let's reason, God's not saying, let's bargain. God's not up there saying, let's make a deal, buddy. God is saying, this is the deal. Let's reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. It's a picture of Jesus. It's a picture of the sacrifice. It's a picture of the cross. Though your sins are like scarlet, they can be white as snow. Though they're blood red like crimson, that's murder guilt. That's blood guilt. God says, I can make them clean like you. So go throughout your Bible and say, how can two walk together unless they be agreed? How can you walk with God unless you're agreeing with Him? Jesus gives a parable and He says, there's two people on the way to see the judge. And you had better agree with the one who accuses you. Or else when you get to the judge, they'll put you in prison and you will not get out until you paid the last farthing. What is that all about? 
because you have one for accuser. And you've got an accuser this morning. What is that accuser? Well, you've got Satan out there. You also have another accuser. The law. The law stands testimony. That law stands there as a testimony as you lie, as you've stolen, as you've committed adultery in your heart, as you've blasphemed, as you've broke the Sabbath, as you've created a God in your own image that you are comfortable with that says I can continue to live this way and still be okay. God says, let's talk about it. There is nothing for you to say, but you need to listen to what I have to say. Tell your sin, well, let's start it. You'll come to me. It's the invitation. You'll come to me. I can make them white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, we're talking murder guilt. I can make them as clean as wool. Are you sitting in your pew this morning saying, Pastor, can God forgive me? Can you hear the invitation right now of the Holy Spirit? Come. Let's talk about it. You don't have to say a word. You need to come and listen to me. You need forgiveness. You need acceptance. You need a purpose. And all of those are in Jesus Christ. Come now, let's reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they can be as white as snow. Look now at the cross. Think about what Jesus did. As He went there willingly for you, I will forgive your sins. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Would you come down this aisle this morning and put Jesus in your heart? Or perhaps you say, Pastor, I need a place to come and be a part of. Would you come down and, and be a part of Robert Stanford Baptist Church? Or perhaps you say, Joshua, my heart isn't right with God. Would you come today and get it right with him? We're going to have a word of prayer. And if he's spoken to you, would you humble yourself and come this morning? Father, we come to you now in Jesus. And we want to thank you, Lord, for your word. And I pray, Lord, you take charge of this time right now. And if there be anyone that needs to come to know you as personal Lord and Savior, or anyone, Father, that needs to get their walk right with you, would you let them hear your voice as you say, come and reason with me. Lord, if there be anyone that needs to be a part of Robertson Avenue, would you let Savior this day? But most of all, Father God, I'm praying for the one that's been holding on to that pew, saying, I need to come to know you as personal Lord and Savior. Would you let Savior be that day? And we give you the praise, the honor, and the glory in Jesus' name. Would you come as we sing? Jesus, keep me near the cross. Would you come?
come this morning. Come on. Amen. God bless you all. I hope you enjoyed your time of worship here with us at Robinson Avenue Baptist Church. Don't forget tonight, 6 o'clock, we'll have evening worship service. Don't forget, if you're on a ministry team, 4 o'clock, you need to be there in the admin building, 4.30, choir practice. And don't forget our upcoming uh, rummage sale and fish fry and vacation Bible school meeting and youth camp in June. And my goodness, God is just doing great things at Robinson Avenue. Amen. So come and be a part of those. Get plugged in and be a part of that. See what God is doing and what God can do in your life. All right. With that being said, let's close in that word of prayer. And uh, I hope to see you this evening at 6 o'clock. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word, Lord. Uh, your word means so much to us. I just pray, Lord, you graft it into our hearts. And like the parable says, Lord, may it come forth and bring forth fruit, Lord, some 30, some 60, 100-fold, Lord, and help us to become sowers ourselves, Lord, wherever we go. Sowing your word. May your name be glorified and magnified. Keep us safe, Lord, as we go about our business and bring a sacred message into your house of worship. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you all, and I'll see you this evening.